Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Gary Wilkerson podcast. So glad you're here with us today. Uh, if you've been following our podcast, you know, we've been speaking on two different issues over the past almost year now. One is the attributes of God and the other is the Trinity. And we have uh, with us Matthew Barrett today and Matthew is uh, written on both of these subjects. So we're going to take the next two episodes, uh, one to talk about uh, one of the particular issues of the Trinity, and then we'll turn to his other book called None Greater and go back to some of his previous writings on uh, how, how God is uh, infinitely different than us, how he is almost incomprehensible. And um, that, that's going to be an interesting subject. So uh, watch today about the Trinity and then come back with us next week for uh, one of the attributes of God. But uh, yeah, so I just want to hold up. Uh, this is Matthew's book, Simple, Simply Trinity. And uh, it's kind of come out just recently. Matthew, welcome. Glad you're here with us today. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Gary. It's, it's great to uh, join you again, and um, especially on a topic so important like the Trinity and the attributes of God. Um, so I, I, you really, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to resist these conversations when, when this is the, the topic at hand. <laughs> uh, I really look forward to them. This is not work for me. This is like, you know, it's like, I'm actually like uh stealing uh, seminary content without paying for it. You know, it's, it's really <laughs> well, I'm happy to, happy to try to give some of it away. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do that. Well, your credo podcast, if, uh, if, if anybody's listening and, and not got uh, in touch with that yet, uh, uh, check that out on YouTube and uh, it would be, be wonderful. And I would recommend uh, any, any of his books that, that he's written. That's really good stuff. Uh, when did you release this uh, Simply Trinity? When did that come out? It's uh, it's just come out, uh, so uh, March two thousand twenty-one, and uh, it's it's everywhere books are sold. So, uh, so I, I'm uh, thrilled to see it finally release. Um, there's been some just great encouraging feedback. Um, of course, you know uh, Scott Swain uh, wrote wrote the forward to it. And um, Scott uh, is a theologian, Trinity expert in his own right. And, and uh, it's been wonderful to see folks pick it up. Um, Christianity, Christianity Today, um, Mike Allen, for example, um, another uh, just superb theologian uh, writing in Christianity Today, just encouraging people, hey, let's, uh, we, we, we need to be careful. We're not, um, you know, manipulating the trinity or interpreting the you know seeing the trinity and remaking the trinity in our own image the image of our society but um he did a great job kind of encouraging readers hey go back let's go back to the scriptures and and to the the church fathers and uh, let's actually let's do our homework and and make sure that that we're um, holding to a biblical and orthodox understanding of the trinity yeah, and, and you wrote the book in some senses because you were afraid that that was not necessarily happening in all quarters. Is that right? That's exactly right. Uh, and the way I, I describe it uh, in just the opening chapter of my book is uh, we have been experiencing Trinity drift. And uh, we don't always realize it, but in the 20th century and then bleeding into our own 21st century, we have drifted some. Uh, away from a, a biblical and uh, orthodox Christianity. And we uh, not only have redefined the Trinity more in terms of 
a society like our human society, but then we've used the Trinity and, and misused the Trinity in countless ways for uh, just about every social agenda under the sun. So uh, in this book, I'm trying to uh, encourage uh, students, pastors, churchgoers, ministry leaders uh, to uh, dive in, dive back into the deep things of God, uh, because if we don't, we actually put ourselves at risk. Um, and uh, I'm trying to, to also encourage uh, so many out there um, that, listen, if, if we actually retrieve and recover um, a sound doctrine of the Trinity, I think you will be surprised uh, how that actually helps you understand the gospel better, as well as as well as the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, from your book and a couple others that I've been looking at, I see clearly how vital uh, understanding the Trinity, maybe in a little deeper way than we traditionally do in the church, is 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 so important to us because you know you're you're not going to get saved. You really can't know salvation, like I said, the gospel. Yeah. Uh, how is Jesus connected to the work of the Holy Spirit and the Father sending him that, that you know, we, we almost by default, we believe in the Trinity, but we're really not paying attention to it. Mm. I think that does, does harm to our, you know, when, as you, as you just mentioned, the deep things of God, first Corinthians two, it, yeah. it, it um, we, we really don't know the deep things of God unless we're, uh, you know, we, we're meant to search out the things of God. And if, Trinity is one of, one of the core things of God. It yeah. is the divine nature of God. Then we're really missing something. So your book is super important. I mean, mm. it, uh, I really pray a lot of people read it. And that, but I wanted today to get into one one of your chapters. Do the Father and the Son work inseparably? That that is something. I mean, I consider myself a fairly well trained uh, biblical pursuer, and, and yet this that one has sort of eluded me in the in the depth of it as your chapter uh, speaks mm. of, and, and I really I do appreciate it. So just tell me a little bit about, uh, does God act as one or three? That's a question you raise in, in this in this chapter. What number chapter? Well, I guess it doesn't matter what number chapter it is. Buy the book and you can find it out yourself. <clears throat> yeah, you know, uh, in the last chapter of the book, I addressed this issue. And it was so hard to wait till the end because... Um, actually, when we a- answer this question, we discover that this, this really does affect um, how we approach God. Everything from um, our fellowship and communion with God to prayer uh, to, to the way we think about Father, Son, and Spirit. And so it was so hard to wait till the end, but uh, it is... It, you're right. This is one of the most important topics on the Trinity, and it's one of the most important chapters of the book. So, you know, to, to readers out there, be sure that, you know, you, you press through and, and get to that last chapter. You know, the question that you asked is, is really a good one. Do the Father, Son, and Spirit work inseparably? Why do we ask that question? Well, sometimes as uh, and maybe you've heard Christians or pastors talk this way in the church. Sometimes unintentionally, we, we talk about the Trinity or the persons of the Trinity um, as if, well, they're merely cooperating with one another. 
uh, as if they're just kind of on the same team. I've even heard some individuals go so far to say it's, it's like a dance. You've got different dance partners and, and uh, they're just really in sync with each other. Um, some have gone even further than that and have said uh, there's a division of labor that gets sort of parceled out. Mm-hmm. And uh, some have gone so far to say, well, um, they're not necessarily working inseparably. Uh, you can have one person working solo. Well, um, this is actually quite dangerous um, because uh, either of those options can actually forfeit the unity of the Trinity. Or um, sometimes as theologians, when we talk about the unity of Father, Son, Spirit, we talk about the simplicity of the Trinity. And by that, we don't mean that God is elementary or you know, really basic or easy to understand. Um, that's, that's not the case. Um, so, that, so we're not using simple, like we tend to use it today. Rather, by simplicity, we mean that this God is one. Um, there's not just one God, but this, the God who exists, he is one in, in the strongest sense of that term. Uh, in other words, he's not, he's a God who is without parts. You know, you and I, we are very much composed of different parts. Um, but when we turn to the scriptures, uh, you think of the Shema, for example, in Deuteronomy, in which it says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, there's a very strong affirmation that this God is indivisible. He is undivided, indivisible, inseparable. And that is one thing that distinguishes him from everything else in the created order. Uh, from, from the world around us to, to the way you and I are very much dependent on the creator who made us. And we are very much composed of parts. We experience time. We're very limited uh, for that reason. And we could go on and talk more about that. Uh, but when we talk about the triune God, um, Father, Son, Spirit, these are not parts that somehow you know, add up certain percentages to make up God and tally up in the end. No, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, they, have, they share the one simple indivisible divine essence. Uh, a fancy way of referring to this in, in theology is to say that these um, the, the essence subsists or exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so that they are co-equal, which is one of the reasons why when we talk about the Son, for example, we say the Son is begotten from his Father's essence. And so that not only distinguishes him as Son, but it also safeguards the Son's equality um, as, as true God. Now, all of that's a bit of background to say that if Father, Son, and Spirit are one in essence, if that's true, then when we see this triune God work and act in creation, providence, and salvation, the reason he, the reason that this triune God works as one is because he is one. Now that's very different than you and I, right? Um, you know, if, if you and I 
uh, decided we were going to work on a on a project together. Let's just say we're going to you know build you know one of the best and greatest libraries, um, the- theology libraries uh, that ever was. <laughs> um, well, you and I would we would team up and we'd maybe pull our resources and um, you know you you might decide well I'm gonna. I'm going to build that section of the library that has all my favorite commentaries. And, and I might say, Oh, I'm going to go over here and I'm, I'm going to pull in some books from church history and, and we'd have to bring in an architect to help us, you know, on and on. And notice how, well, that's how, that's how unity, so to speak, works in our society, right? We cooperate or at very best we're in sync with one another. We, we've got a common purpose or goal and, and that sort of thing. But when we're, we have to remember when we're talking about the Trinity, these persons, um, they're not separate individuals, right? Uh, they, they are not uh, off on their own. They've, they never go solo, uh, to put it that way. Uh, they have the same essence and the same will. Um, one way that, I've, uh, that this has been, been put uh, in the history of the church is to say that the external works of the Trinity are undivided. They are undivided. And the reason we can say that is because Father, Son, and Spirit are undivided uh, with each other in essence. All that to say, when we talk about God working in the world, we can actually say it is because our triune God is one that he, that he acts as one. Um, he doesn't, it's not merely a cooperation and certainly not just like a divvying up of, of labor, that sort of thing. Um, he actually acts as one. Here's another way of, of thinking about this. Um, and, and I really can't emphasize this enough. Um, one and the same action because there is one and the same nature, divine nature. Um, so, uh, one of the ways that uh, some of the, the great um, thinkers of the past have, have stated this is they've said, well, then every, every operation is from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. And notice in that language there, they're, they're really trying then to, to make sure that uh, we, don't, we don't project, you know, how, how we might work together in society. We don't project that kind of minimal understanding of unity back on onto God. If I can, um, I, I, I did have to say here, I, I did bring someone along. Uh, if I can uh, quote from a, a minute, this is, um, uh, this is Gregory of uh, Nazianzus, one of the church fathers. And he's contemplating God. And he has this beautiful statement. He says, no sooner do I conceive of the one then I am illumined by the splendor of the three. And no sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. Mm-hmm. And notice how devotional that statement is, right? Uh, yes, he's, this is a profound uh, theological statement, uh, but it's one in which he is recognizing even the way I think about God, pray to God, uh, even the way I petition God, um, he's saying, I, I can't sever the persons from one another. As soon as I think about the Son, I think about the Father and the Spirit. As soon as I think about the Father, I think about the Son and the Spirit as well. That's not, dare I say, that's not typically 
we, we haven't trained ourselves today to think that way. But notice here with Gregory, how that not only informs his theology, but it also then informs the Christian life. Mm. Wow. That's, that's powerful, man. Thank you, Matthew. Um, a couple of questions, uh, put them together and then you take them each independently. Sure. Yeah. Um, could you first of all, give us a couple examples uh, in scripture of the three working in unison as you're describing. And why don't you do that one first, then I'll come back to my second question. Uh, can you yeah. give us examples? Yeah. Uh, there's many gr- fantastic examples. Um, I can't help but think of Jesus, of course. Um, uh, John 5 comes to mind, right? In which Jesus is really on the precipice of being killed. <laughs> uh, he is so of- offending uh, the religious leaders uh, that they they really think he's committing some form of, of blasphemy. Now, why, why is this the case? Well, you may remember that he heals a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus then, when they question him about this uh, in a very critical way, they seem, by the way, this is just a, another point of the passage, but they, they seem to be actually missing <laughs> the significance of not just what's happened, but who, who has actually done this. Um, and, and that actually brings Jesus to the bigger, the bigger issue at hand. Um, because essentially they're saying, you know, who, who, who do you think you are? Um, well, Jesus then responds to them and says, my father is working until now. And so am I. Why? And at this, they are just outraged. Why are they, why are they so outraged? Well, they seem to understand enough to recognize that uh, only only God himself has the prerogative to sustain the universe and to carry it through and bring it about and so on and so on. Only God has that prerogative on the Sabbath. Um, And this would be a, a common assumption. In, in Judaism, in which uh, they understood that God created, and then he rested on the seventh day. But even still, they, they understood, well, this is God, and so we are very much dependent upon him. So, yes, he rests, but um, that's not to say he doesn't sustain what he has made. Um, Jesus is essentially saying that creator who you say has the right to do that, it is I. That is a remarkable statement because he's, he's, he is saying he performs the same single action. Uh, and therefore, the assumption then is he is one with the Father, which he will then go, he will state at different times in the Gospel of John very emphatically. Um, now, isn't it interesting that uh, this is all taking place because he healed a man? Um, and so Jesus is essentially saying, um, who else then but me then has the right and the ability uh, to, to restore the creation which, is, which has fallen and which has been um, uh, damaged and Jesus is 
what he's doing here is he is identifying himself with God himself as the, the very creator and, re, and restorer of creation and new creation. It's, a, it's an astonishing moment. And whether the religious leaders understand this entirely could probably be debated, but they understand enough to recognize if this isn't true, this is blasphemy mm-hmm. uh, because you are actually claiming that you are, you perform the same single work that, that the father does. Uh, and therefore you are, you are one with the father. This is one of the reasons why, by the way, uh, so many of the church fathers, I, I just mentioned Gregory of Nazianzus, he does this, in which he will say, when we look at Scripture, the many, many ways that Scripture then uh, speaks of the single work, whether it's creation, providence, or salvation, in terms of Father, Son, and Spirit, Gregory says, well, that that is meant to drive us then into the imminent life of God apart from creation and salvation and recognize, well, the, the reason then he acts as one is because is because Father, Son, Spirit are one right. in, in essence with one another. So that that connection there is not accidental. Um, it, it's very intentional in the way that God reveals himself through his many works. Mm-hmm. Man, I, uh, I, I, met, uh, <clears throat> I met Christ when I was six years old. And then when I was 15, I started like, I mean, really intensely, soberly, seriously, like studying out God. I, I used to get a, a milk crate and walk in the woods behind me, and I had my Bible. And I don't know if you remember the Navigators. They used to yeah. have these uh, series of 1 through 12 books about different doctrines. And I, and I would pursue this stuff. But I tell you, I have to be honest with you. I almost feel when I hear you talk, you know, when I think it was Philip that said to Jesus, you know, Jesus said to Philip, you know, have you been with me so long and you still don't know me? <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm drinking like water from a fire hose here because yeah, you're saying yeah. so much about God, his nature, the Trinity. And yet all that pursuit that I've done, I'm almost, I'm not discouraged. Don't hear me wrong, Matthew. I'm, I'm encouraged because I'm, I'm learning, but I'm discouraged because it's like, how, how don't I know this? I mean, why, or why don't I know this? Or and, and And even as you say what you're saying, my mind's kind of going... I'm not pushing back like I disagree with you, but there are certain things in my brain that just go like, no, no, wait, there are three persons, so they have to act separately. Or if they're just one act, divine act, then why not just make it easier and just be one? Like, let the Father be in heaven one moment and then come to earth and save us and then go back to heaven. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, if he's, if he's so one, yeah. why have to yeah. why have, why have to be three? Why not just stay one? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and um, I think both scripture and the great tradition, they've really wrestled over this question to, because on the one hand, you know, we just, we just argued that um, father, son, and spirit, they're one in essence, one in will. And so they act as one as well. Um, and then at the same time, um, we can also say that, uh, well, uh, on the one hand, the persons of the Trinity, uh, they are distinct. Um, they're distinct according, we, we talked about this briefly before, but um, they're distinct according to their 
um, what we call their eternal relations of origin. I hinted at that a minute ago. Um, the father is unbegotten. The, the son is, we call him son because he is begotten from the father, uh, but from all eternity. And uh, the spirit, the spirit we, we call spirit. This is the spirit who's spirated or proceeds from the father and the son from all eternity. Uh, here, we're not talking about something that happens, you know, uh, in salvation history or that sort of thing. We're talking about God apart from the world. Um, and so when we ask, well, what is it that, that distinguishes these persons? This is, this is, this is it. Um, these, these, these are the categories that scripture gives to us. Right. Now, again, like we did last time, notice, though, that if that's true, if that's true, then when we look at the way the Trinity works in creation and salvation, uh, we'll also notice that each person um, uh, is, when we witness each person, uh, Father, Son, Spirit, they always um, are represented in a way that corresponds with, that is fitting with those um, those the father is unbegotten the son is begotten and the spirit is spirated um and we can even say that um this is where a, a word like appropriation can be helpful uh, whenever we look at say a particular work of creation or salvation um there's good reason then why uh, that work may be appropriated in a way that that sort of puts the, our, our gaze on a certain person of, of the Godhead. And this is where the, the language of Scripture and the language of, of the fathers is so helpful. Um, take the Holy Spirit, for example. Uh, why is it that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the sanctifier or the helper or the comforter? Um, here, Scripture is putting our focus uh, on the way that, that um, the Spirit uh, appropriates uh, this aspect of, of salvation, so that on the one hand, well, sanctification is, is the single work of the whole Trinity. And yet, at the same time, Scripture can speak of the way it's appropriated uh, by the, the Holy Spirit uh, in this way. And notice, that is consistent with who the Holy Spirit is as distinct from the Father and the Son from all eternity. So maybe we can describe it this way. As the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son from all eternity, this Spirit is then sent by the Father and the Son into salvation history yeah. to perfect the very work that Christ has accomplished. Um, and, uh, there's many beautiful ways that scripture describes this. Uh, for example, you think of uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter one, for example. On the one hand, Paul seems to very much assume uh, the unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. He, as soon as he starts talking about this work of salvation, he can't help, uh, kind of like we, that Gregory quote, he can't help but speak of, of all three persons. Yeah. And at the same time, um, we'll, you'll notice how Paul will uh, speak about each person 
in a way that corresponds to who that person is from eternity. So he can, he can refer to Christ, for example, in Ephesians 1 as the, the Redeemer, the one who actually accomplishes our redemption in his life, death, and resurrection. That is so fitting because this is the same Son who's begotten from the Father from all eternity. Then notice how at the end of Ephesians 1, he turns to the Holy Spirit. It's, and, and there he'll talk about how the Spirit seals uh, and how the Spirit sanctifies and how the Spirit essentially applies this great work of, that Christ has accomplished, this great work of redemption. He applies this work within us. And, and you know from Paul's other epistles that he can then start referring to the Spirit as the one who even indwells us. Um, so this language, there's so much more we could say, right? But this language is really uh, meant to, on the one hand, preserve the unity of the one, one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit, and at the same time, uh, do justice to uh, the way that Father, Son, and Spirit are uh, distinct from one another uh, as persons, and how we then see that play itself out uh, in the way that they appropriate um, certain works that are brought to our attention in Scripture. Mm. When the Holy Spirit, you mentioned the Holy Spirit's indwelling us. If, if, if all the acts of the Trinity are one, so then really, in a sense, the Father and the Son are indwelling us as well, but the Holy Spirit is maybe, um, I don't know, more active or something. I don't That wouldn't be right, would it? Uh, well, this, that's an interesting point you make, because on the one hand, um, they, yeah, we probably, you know, wouldn't want to say, you know, one's active and the others are not. That would, that would, um, that would raise other questions about, well, you know, where's the father gone? Where's the spirit gone? That sort of thing. Um, but um, on the other hand, um, you, you make an interesting observation, right? Because let's take indwelling, for example. Um, it's, on the one hand, scripture can emphasize the Holy, you are temples of the Holy Spirit, which is, a, which is an unbelievable statement considering um, who we are. <laughs> um, but uh, notice too how scripture, on the one hand, it'll emphasize that you are indwelt by the Spirit, but then scripture is also not shy to then mention the father and the son. And so I think there's good reasons then why um, the new Testament, for example, can say, this is the spirit of Christ. And Jesus can even say to his disciples, I'm not abandoning you. I, yes, I'm going to ascend into heaven, but I will be with you to the end of the age and, and, you know, the disciples at the time are perplexed and confused. And how is this possible? And that's when Jesus will say, let me talk to you about the Holy Spirit, the helper, who's going to bring to your remembrance what I have said. This is the Spirit of Christ. And we could go on to talk about the Father as well. All that to say, um, whatever, uh, whatever work of salvation we are referring to, on the one hand, yes, Scripture will bring our attention to, say, one uh, specific person, but it's also very quick to say uh, 
in, in different colorful ways, this is at the same time, the single undivided work of, of the whole Godhead. Yeah. That's, that's precious, man. I love that. I was reading that when Solomon was trying to build the temple. Yeah. And he puts a lot of effort into it and a lot of money into it and a lot of time. And, and then he gets it done. And I think it's in the sixth verse there, he says, uh, you know, wait a minute, I can't, I can't build a temple that can contain this God who's higher than heaven and the highest of heavens. But he says, but I can use it as a place to burn offerings, to give offerings. You know, it's, I think what I hear you saying so encourages me because it's like, you know, my mind wants to sort of create a temple where I can understand everything about the Trinity. Uh, and then occasionally I just go like, it's higher than my highest heavens <laughs> or it's higher than my highest comprehension. And uh, all yeah. I can do is worship. Also, not all. I mean, certainly we can have some uh, awareness of, of it and apply it in certain ways in our life and our devotion, but uh, it really does lead to worship. I, I, and, and that's a, uh, <clears throat> You know, I don't know if you wrote the book thinking that, man, this is going to create a lot of real dynamic worshipers of Jesus and of God I, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah no, ab- absolutely, I did. And, and this is one of the reasons why I end the book the way I do. Hmm. Uh, at, at the very end of that last chapter, I talk about the Christian life and I talk about worship because uh, that's, that's where this brings us, right? And, and so even, you know, take what we've been talking about. Um, uh, you know, I, I can't help but think here of uh, a Puritan like John Owen. He wrote a book called Communion with the Trinity, and which is a fascinating title. And what he argues there is that, well, on the one hand, whenever we uh, have communion with Father or Son or Spirit, we have communion with the whole Trinity. Mm-hmm. And the only reason John Owen can say that is because of so much of what we've talked about today. Uh, that this Father, Son, and Spirit are, are one, and so they work as one. Um, and at the same time, Owen would, goes on to say, uh, because of who Father, Son, and Spirit are, then uh, that also means you can have fellowship and communion uh, with the Father uh, according to his love for us, which we see in the Son, so we can have communion or fellowship with the Son by grace, and of course, the Holy Spirit, uh, according to the, the the way He comforts us and consoles us, and Owen, he then John Owen goes on to then talk about the Christian life and, and how that affects everything from from prayer to uh, times of of trials and suffering to worship to worship, um, and yes, all this affects worship. So that we 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 want to come to church on Sunday or in the you know private. Um, you know, hours uh, of our own prayer life, we, we come to God, but we understand that Father, Son, Spirit, well, this is the, the one God uh, that we worship. And so notice how we then um, uh, approach this God in a very Trinitarian fashion. The Holy Spirit uh, indwells us. This is the same Holy Spirit who's regenerated us, caused us to be born again and opened our eyes to who Christ is. And so the Spirit uh, opens our eyes to Christ, and we come to Christ as our mediator and Savior, who then brings us, ushers us to the Father, um, because we then have every confidence that on the basis of what His Son has done, we are, are declared right with God by grace. Well, that is trinitarian through and through and um it 
that then changes the way, or at least it should, the way that we talk about who we are, uh, the way we talk about how we've been saved, the way we talk about what worship should look like. Um, It's really important, right, that when we worship on a Sunday morning, for example, we don't sound like binatarians instead of trinitarians. (laughs) Uh, It's important that that we don't sound like Unitarians instead of Trinitarians as well. So all of this uh, really deep theology, on the one hand, it can be hard work, but it certainly has major consequences then for how we meet together, who we say we are as Christians, and then how how we worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uniqueness of our biblical understanding of the Trinity is really in some senses separates us from other religions, uh, that's right. You know, Islam or uh, Buddhism or even some Christian uh, cults or sects that you know, oh. the Mormons or Jehovah's Witness. That, that you know, it's a quite a solitary uh, understanding that we have of Scripture. But I, you have so supported it by Scripture that I think it's a, a done deal. You know, and yeah, uh, Matthew, thank you. Uh, and uh, if your time allows, you'll be back with us next week. Uh, yes. Talk about the incomprehensibility of God. We're, we're, we're hitting some difficult subjects, but you're making them really clear, too. So that's helpful. So uh, thank you for being with us. And once again, I want to re- recommend your book, Simply Trinity. You can find it on any place. Uh, good books are sold. And uh, keep up the good work, Matthew. Really, really blessed to, to, to know you. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.